Welcome to Grace Bible Church. I'm Blake Jennings. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Grace. I'd like to kick off our worship service this morning by reading to you from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was fully God. The Word was with God in the beginning. All things were created by Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. In the book of John, Jesus is the Word. He's God's most perfect revelation to us. He was with the Father in the beginning, meaning that Jesus is eternal. He has always existed, and He is the Creator. He's Almighty. Everything that has been made was made through Jesus. And yet, my favorite part of what we read is right there at the end of that passage in verse 4 In Him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. We're living through dark days. I've heard people compare this crisis to going through a world war. That's a serious thing to say. It, it is dark. People are afraid. There's a lot of people who fear over, feel overwhelmed right now and for good reason. And yet in the midst of that darkness, we know the light. We know Jesus, and he's with you wherever you are right now. If you're watching this in your home, in your living room, in your bedroom, wherever you are, Jesus is with you. He is your companion right now. He is your perfect peace. He is your provider. He is your faithful friend and your good shepherd. And so I invite you to join me in prayer. Let's ask Jesus to bless this time as we worship together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning, this opportunity for us to gather wherever we are. We praise you that you are not geographically limited. We thank you that you are everywhere perfectly, completely present right this moment. We thank you that wherever we are watching this, you are with us. You are our Savior. You are our Lord. You are our friend. You are our provider. We praise you for that, Jesus. Lord Jesus, we offer you this time as we gather together to sing songs of worship. We pray that it would delight you. We pray that it would lift you high. And then as we open your word and as we learn more about you, we pray, Jesus, that you would open our eyes to see and soften our hearts to believe that you are everything that we need, that you are with us and that you love us and that we can count on you. I pray, Jesus, that you would bless this time as we gather. In your name and for your glory we pray. Amen. Let's pray with me, church. Father, I thank you that there is no power on earth that can stop our worship and there is no power on earth that can stop our witness. Instead, Father, I pray that during these trying times, uh, that our worship would grow deeper, that our love for you would grow deeper, and that the beauty of our witness would become even more powerful in the communities around us. Father, as, as others are, are gripped by fear, that we would walk by faith and we would grow in our faith and trust. Father, that we would grow in, in our desire and our longing and our ability to see the needs around us and, and to serve our friends and our family and our neighbors and people who are in need. Father, I pray that you would, through this a period of, of crisis in the world, bring many to faith in your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So I, I got an email this week from uh, one of you, one of our members, uh, saying, hey, hey uh, how was it for you and Matt to uh, just speak into an empty room and just imagine all of us sitting out here? So I wanted to kind of give you a little bit of setting. Last week, 
we had about 30 or 40 of our staff people, we invited them to come in. And so we actually had a live audience. We were able to kind of interact. It was really, really kind of rich and wonderful. And then, you know, this week the restrictions came a little tighter. So this week we have our worship team and we have our production team and then uh, my kids and their cousins. So that's who we've got in the room today. So I'm, I'm really counting on you guys to be really engaged and, you know, dynamic and stay with me in there. Okay. Uh, and I'm also counting on you as you're sitting out there. I now I'm imagining you sitting on your, your couch and you've got your coffee and you've got your Bible out and you've got your journal and a pen and you're completely dialed in to what we're going to study today. Uh, I also want to encourage you as we're doing worship, just imagine that you are, you're, you're in your car and you can sing as loud as you want, right? No judgment whatsoever, no condemnation. You can just belt it out in the middle of your living room, just like you do in, in the car, in the, in the shower, whatsoever. But this morning, I want you to dial into John 15. So if you are uh, among the, the four or five who are sitting here with me this morning, I want you to turn to John 15. If you're sitting there on your couch, John 15 is where we're going to be this morning. But as we begin, I want to give you an illustration. When my kids were little, we used to play an imagination game. And uh, we would imagine things like, if you could get on an airplane and you could fly anywhere in the world, where would you fly? Or where, where would you go? And we would come up with all kinds of exotic places and uh, just dream about why we'd go there. And we'd say, why are you going to go there, right? And then we'd say, if you could be any animal, what animal would you be? And uh, they'd dream up all kinds of animals, you know, powerful animals or, uh, you know, eagles that could fly, this kind of thing. And then I'd say, if you could be any food, what kind of food would you be? And uh, it, the answer was always pizza. Right? So it was always pizza. So then I'd say, okay, let's see if we can get to a healthier alternative. If you could be any fruit, what would you be? And they would always answer very typical things. It'd be bananas or strawberries or watermelon, right? They never, they never answered with anything exotic because uh, Americans don't eat exotic fruits. You can't find exotic fruits in the grocery store because we're afraid of exotic fruits. We don't eat them. But in other parts of the world, there are some very exotic fruits. I want to give you a couple of illustrations. Uh, this fruit is called the, the rambutan. It's found in Malaysia. It's named rambutan. It's from a Malay word that means hairy. And, of course, Americans don't want to eat hairy fruit, so we don't find any rambutans in our grocery store. Here's the second one. This is called the, the durian fruit. This is revered in Southeast Asia as the king of fruits. So what that means, it's the king of fruits. This is the best fruit that they have to offer. There's a French naturalist who was traveling through the area. His name was Henri Muhat, and he said this. On first tasting it, I thought it like the flesh of some animal in a state of putrefaction, right? But this is the king of fruits. This is the best they have to offer. Uh, a third one is this. It's called Monstera Deliciosa. It's found in the rainforest of Central America. And uh, this fruit in particular, if, uh, if it hasn't become ripe, and it takes about a, an entire year for this fruit to ripen. If it hasn't become ripe, it's poisonous. As is uh, every other part of this fruit, Right? The, the, the shell, the outside, the leaves, everything, it's, it's toxic to eat. So, not surprisingly, we don't find Monstera Deliciosa in our grocery stores. And I, I look at fruits like that, and I think to myself, if I were a fruit, what would I be? Well, I'd want to be a delicious fruit. I'd want to be a beautiful fruit. I'd want to be a nutritious fruit. I'd want to be a fruit that was useful to people and helped them in their lives, right? That's what I'd want to be, which is really a, a perfect metaphor for uh, our lives, because what you'll discover in the Bible, in fact, is that our lives produce fruit. That is, uh, our lives have, have an outcome. Right? There's something that's produced by our lives. And the Bible describes that as fruit. And it could be good fruit, it could be bad fruit. But God's intention for our lives is that 
we produce good fruit, not a little bit of fruit, but a lot of good fruit. Now, last week, we began our study in the uh, Upper Room Discourse, and as we started that study, we, Matt and Blake and I were, were discussing, we thought, you know, should we, should we pivot, should we change, since we're now in the middle of this coronavirus epidemic? And what we decided is that the Upper Room is, it's actually the, it's the perfect thing, it's it's almost as if God knew, right? I mean, in the, the perfect foreknowledge of God and his sovereignty, he knew that this would be a great passage, and we planned earlier in the year not knowing any of this would come, but this, the setting of the Upper Room Discourse is, is crisis. Uh, Jesus is entering into a crisis. The disciples are entering into a crisis. Jesus is about to be betrayed by his closest friends. He's about to be rejected by the Jewish nation. He's about to be crucified. And he tells his disciples all of this. And then he also tells them, I'm going to go away and you can't come with me. And we're told that they were troubled. They were stirred up inside. And Jesus says to them, don't be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, trust me. In the midst of this crisis, I want you to trust me. Trust me, because my father actually has has a place for you, and I'm going to prepare it. I'm getting your room ready. And I'm the way for you to get there. I'm going to come back, and I'm going to bring you there with me, because I I love you, and I want you with me. And even though I'm leaving you physically, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give my spirit to you, who will be with you constantly, even through all of the trials and tribulations and troubles that you experience on this earth. So, trust me. Right? Trust me. And then, Jesus apparently turns to his disciples in the upper room and he says, let's take a walk. Right? <laughs> let's take a walk. In John 15, actually, uh, they, they leave the upper room. It's part of the upper room discourse, but they leave the upper room. Jesus says, let's take a walk. And as they're walking literally uh, from the upper room where it was located in Jerusalem to the Garden of Gethsemane, they would have had to walk through or by multiple vineyards. And so apparently, as they're walking by one of those vineyards, Jesus turns to the vineyard and looks at his disciples and he says, this is what your life is like. This is what my life is like. This is what our lives are like together. And then he speaks these words to them. I want you to read with me John 15, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned." If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is an extended metaphor. And in the metaphor, the vineyard is the world. The vine dresser is God the Father. He, he owns the vineyard. He's sovereign over the vineyard. It is, it is his vineyard. But he's also good because everything that he does is for the good of the vineyard. The vine is the son of God, Jesus. The branches, that's people. And God's intention for all people is that they would bear fruit, good fruit, a lot of fruit. And so what I want to share with you this morning is four qualities of of branches that bear 
abundant fruit. Right? The first is this. Fruitful branches attach to the true vine. Right? The first is this. Fruitful branches attach to the true vine. Now, if you look again in chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And when Jesus said, I am the true vine, his audience, right, all Jewish audience, they would have said, whoa, wait, Jesus, that, that doesn't really make sense because we're the vine. In their mind, Israel was the vine, the Jewish people was the vine. That was deeply embedded in their, their whole uh, Jewish uh, sense of identity. In fact, if you read in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7, it says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Now, that's just one illustration, but if you look throughout the entire Old Testament, Israel is pictured as the vine. Israel is God's vine. And if you looked at coins that were minted in Jesus' day, you would find pictures of a grapevine and a branch and abundant fruit, grapes hanging off that. Uh, Herod's temple, the gates going into the temple, were decorated with, with a vine and a branches and grapes hanging from it because that was a symbol for Jewish identity. They were the true vine. And now Jesus says to them, I am the true vine. The problem was that the Israel vine was not bearing good fruit. It was bearing bad fruit. Such was the case as well in the Old Testament. If you turn back just a few verses in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 4, it says this. What more was there for me to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? Israel was God's vine in the Old Testament. He said, I've done everything for my vine. I've given it all of the advantages I possibly could. And yet it's producing worthless grapes. So what did God do? Well, he, he judged his people. He came in and, in a sense, he burned the vineyard. That is, he took his people away into exile. But then, according to promise, he brought them back and he planted them again in the land. The problem was they continued, even after coming back into the land and being planted and being given every advantage, they were once again bearing worthless fruit or bad grapes again. And so God, through Jesus, told his people once again, you're going to be judged. You want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 23 and read in verse 37. Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you not see all of these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. See, what Jesus is saying is just, just like the, the Israel vine in the Old Testament was not bearing good fruit, it was bearing bad grapes, and God came in and judged his vineyard, Jesus says, that's going to happen again because this generation is not bearing good fruit because they're not turning to me as the true vine. And so, in fact, what happened in AD 70 is the Roman army came in under General Titus and they wiped out the Jewish people and they destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They tore down the temple and literally they overturned every stone in the temple. And the vineyard, which was Israel, was destroyed because they weren't bearing good fruit. And Jesus says, this is what's going to happen. It's going to happen again. So now turn back to John chapter 15. In verse 2. John chapter 15, 
verse 2. Jesus says, every branch, let's start in verse 1 actually. I'm the true vine, my father's the vine dresser. Every branch not bearing fruit in me, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Jesus is saying, if you don't bear fruit in me, you don't bear good fruit. So if you're not a branch attached to me, you're not part of the true vineyard. And so, as he says in verse 6, you're going to be taken away again and disciplined. And that's, that's, in fact, what Jesus was prophesying is this particular generation would be taken away and disciplined. The disciples actually had an illustration of this exact kind of person living in their midst for the last three years. That was Judas. I want you to turn with me back to John chapter 13 and verse 5. John chapter 13 and verse 5. This is at the very beginning of the upper room discourse. It says, Jesus poured water into the basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do right now you don't realize, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, and he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. Jesus is referring to the one who would betray him. He's referring to Judas. He's referring to the one... Judas, who decided he would not attach himself to the true vine. In fact, the reason that Judas had initially attached himself to Jesus was out of greed. He thought Jesus was going to be a political leader and he could get a position of power and he could get money. In fact, he had gotten himself in the position where he managed the money box and he would steal out of the money box. And so Judas didn't understand who Jesus really was and Judas hadn't believed in Jesus. And so what happened to Judas? He was cut off, right? He was, he was removed because he wasn't clean. And in this analogy, what Jesus means is this. You're, you're clean if you believe in him. In fact, the, the moment that you believe in Jesus, your debt of sin is removed completely and forever. And God takes you and he places you in Christ, right? He attaches you to the true vine. And you can't bear good fruit unless you're attached to the true vine. How do you get attached? You just believe. You, you don't try to bear fruit. You don't try to bear more fruit or better fruit. You simply say, God, I can't bear fruit apart from Jesus, but I believe. I believe. It's an entirely and utterly free gift to be attached to the true vine, Jesus. And so I would encourage you, if you're sitting in your living room right now, or maybe you're driving down the road and you're listening to this on podcast, and you've never had that moment where you said, Jesus, I can't do enough. Please give me life. Let me encourage you, take that moment right now. Religion is trying to do more. A relationship with Jesus is realizing he's done everything for you. The the standard that, that you have to reach to have a relationship with God is absolute perfection. You can't get there. So instead, what has God done for you? He said, I'll give you Christ's perfection. I will take you out of death and I'll place you into life. I'll put you into the true vine. And let me encourage you, if you've never made that decision, just to humbly come before Jesus and recognize that you've sinned and you've separated yourself from him, Do that right now. Say, God, thank you that I can have the gift of life in Jesus and you can attach me to him 
and give me life. So the first quality of branches that bear fruit is that they're attached to the true vine. The second is this. Fruitful branches abide in the true vine. Read with me again chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So what it means to abide is it means to remain in intimate fellowship. It means to to consciously, actively derive your life from Jesus. Great New Testament illustration of this is when Jesus sent his disciples out on the boat. And as he sent them out on the boat, Jesus waited on the land by himself. And he spent time alone with the Father and he was in prayer. But as the disciples were rowing across the lake, the storm came up. And even though they had lived, many of them had lived their entire lives in the lake and they knew the lake, they felt like they were about to drown. And then Jesus came walking, right? Jesus walking along on the water and they see him and initially they think, oh my gosh, this is a ghost. This is a spirit. We don't know what this is. And then they see what, no, perhaps it's Jesus. And Peter sees Jesus. He says, Jesus, if that's really you, command that, that I walk to you on the water, which every time I read that, I think, that just seems really dumb, right? Because if, if it hadn't been Jesus, just imagine that it was a ghost or it was a demon, and the demon hears Peter say, if it's really you, Jesus, command me to walk on water. If I'm a demon, I go, well, get out of the boat. Come, sure, give it a try, right? But it was Jesus. So uh, Jesus says, sure, come on, walk on the water. And Peter steps out of the boat, and this man walks on water. Just a normal, ordinary man. He walks on on water until he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he looks at the wind and the waves and then he begins to sink and he says Jesus rescue me and Jesus pulls him out of the water and they both get in the boat a man can walk on water so to speak if his eyes are on Jesus Peter is walking on water as long as his eyes are fixed on Jesus to abide in the vine means fixing your eyes consciously on Jesus being consciously actively trusting, and clinging to Jesus for life. Practically speaking, how do we do that? Well, there are, there are a multitude of ways that we can do that. I want to point out four to you that kind of emerge from John chapter 15. The first is through prayer. Turn to John chapter 16 with me and verse 23. John chapter 16, verse 23. Jesus answered him. Oops, I'm in the wrong chapter here. Hold on. 16, verse 23. Uh, in that day, he's speaking to his disciples, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Verse 26. In that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say that I will request of the Father on your behalf, For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. See what Jesus is saying? Because you've believed in me, I've placed you into this intimate relationship with my Father so that you can cry out and you can say, Abba, Father, Daddy. And I don't even need to make the request for you because the Father loves you. That is 
prayer. That's, that's conversation that God has opened, that Jesus has opened up for you with the Father. That's what prayer is. Now, next week, Blake is going to talk in a lot more detail about prayer and answer some of these questions. What does it mean to ask in Jesus' name? What does it mean that Jesus promises, if you ask in my name, I will give this thing to you? This week, this morning, all that I want to point out to you is prayer is one of the most important tools that God has given you to cling to Jesus. It's one of the most important tools that God has given you to grow in in intimacy with the Lord. The second is the word of God. Turn back to chapter 15 and verse 7. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now you see the connection between the word and prayer. Jesus says, I want you to to abide in my word. That is, I want you to cling desperately to my word. I want you to remember all that I've spoken to you. Later he'll just tell his disciples, I want you to write down what I've spoken to you. I want you to share it with the churches and I want them to abide in my word. And as you abide in my word, then you know how to pray. You know the things to ask for from the Father. You know that the Father loves you because you've listened and you've learned and you've meditated and you've allowed the Word of God to actually transform your life, which is powerful enough to do. In fact, God has promised that the Word of God is living and active and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is transforming. That's why we're a Bible church. That's why we teach the Word, because we believe that when the Word goes out, even when the Word goes out, not with just people sitting live in a room, but it goes out through the internet, it goes out virtually and people listen to the word and they, 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 they study the word and they memorize the word and they meditate upon the word that has a transforming power. That's one of the ways that we abide in Christ, we cling to Christ, through prayer, through the word. Third is through obedience. Look at chapter 14 and verse 21. Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. What Jesus is saying is, when I reveal to you what you should do, and you choose to obey, I disclose myself more and more and more. Do you want to know more of Jesus? Do you want to know more of the Father? Then obey the things that you know. Obey the things that you know God has already revealed to you. A fourth way that God has given to us to abide in Christ, really cling to Christ, is confession. Now, confession is uh, one of the spiritual disciplines that we often kind of just glance over. We think, okay, the word and the prayer, and we're doing scripture memory, and we're doing these other things. But confession is a, is a little bit dif- difficult uh, because it makes us really vulnerable. But I want you to read with me again chapter 15 and verse 2. Jesus says, Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. I want you to notice there's actually a play on words here in verses 2 and 3. He says this, Every branch that bears fruit, he cleans it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Notice what he's saying. God is cleaning you because you're already clean. What's he talking about there? What's happening in this, this metaphor? Well, you recall that when uh, we read chapter 13 about Jesus washing the disciples' feet, that he came to Peter. Right? He's, he's gone around, and it seems that Peter probably is sitting at the very end of the table. And he finally gets around to Peter, and Peter's like, 
no, this is just not right. This is not appropriate. I can't have the teacher, the master, washing my feet. And so, again, he says no to Jesus. No, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have a part with me. You're not in fellowship with me. And Peter says, well, then don't just wash my feet. But Peter just starts popping off his robe. He's like, okay, no, wash my hands, wash my head, wash my whole body. And Jesus says, Peter, you're not understanding. The person who's bathed only needs to wash his feet. You're already clean because you believed. That is, Peter, you believed in me, so your debt of sin is removed. Now, that being said, you also just came in from the world, and you're, you're tracking the dirt of the world into our meal, and so we just need to wash your feet. Right, Jesus is making a distinction here between relationship and fellowship. The moment that we believe we have a permanent relationship with Jesus, we can't be cut off from the vine. In fact, the other analogy Jesus uses in John 10 is that we're in the Father's hand, right? We're in Jesus' hand, and then the Father's hand is wrapped around Jesus' hand, and nothing can pry loose the fingers of the Father. Once you belong to God through Jesus Christ, you have a permanent relationship. You are clean, but you also continuously need to be cleansed. Your debt of sins has been removed forever. You will never have to pay that debt because Jesus paid that debt. That's relationship. But your enjoyment of the intimacy of the relationship, well, that's day in and day out. As as a sin transpires, you need to go to the Lord and say, Father, forgive me for that because Jesus already paid for it. Remember when you were kids and you'd run in the front door and your mom would say, wipe your feet. She says, no, stop right there. Wipe your feet or take off your shoes. And you might say to your mom, hey, but this is my home. And she'd say, this is our home and you need to wipe your feet or else. There are consequences because you're coming in from the world and there's dirt on your feet. Don't drag the dirt of the world into our home because we're not going to enjoy that. That dirt of the world doesn't belong in our home, which is a place that's set apart. It's a place that's holy. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, you're clean. You've believed in me. You're bathed. But every day you go out in the world, and your attitudes don't honor the Lord, or your speech doesn't honor the Lord, or your actions don't honor the Lord. And so one of the things that maintains that intimacy of clinging with Jesus is that you actually take the time to humble yourself, and in consistent moments of vulnerability, you say, Father, I need you for through the power of your Spirit to reveal where my life is not honoring and pleasing to you, so that I can cling to you once again. Why is this important? Chapter 15, verse 5, let's read it again. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. I remember really vividly the first time when I was in college that I actually sat down and I began to study this passage and I thought to myself, this doesn't really make sense because I can do some things. And I think I can even do some good things. I can do some kind things. I can serve and sacrifice. I can give generously. I can do things. What's Jesus mean when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing? Read it carefully. He doesn't say you can do some things. He says you can do nothing. Jesus' point is this. You can do nothing that honors the Father that's independent from the Son. You can do nothing that honors the Father that's 
independent from the Son. The only things that really please God are the things that you do, that you consciously, actively say, Jesus, I'm doing this in dependence upon you, because then Jesus gets all the credit. When I'm doing these things not consciously, actively dependent upon Jesus, then I get the credit. Can you do good things? Yeah, you can do good things apart from Jesus, but you can't do anything that honors the Father except through Jesus. Consciously, actively dependent upon the Father, which that's God's goal for your life. So, fruitful branches abide in the true vine. As Jesus, as John said, 1 John, he says, If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sin. That, that verb, verb cleanse in 1 John is actually present tense continuous. That is, you have been cleansed, and you are continually being cleansed. And as you dig deep in the word, and you go to God in prayer, and your prayer is informed by the word, and as you confess your sin to the Lord, you are clinging to the Father through the Son. And in that intimacy, then God can cause fruit to come from your life. Now, third, fruitful, fruitful branches yield to the vine tender. Read with me again chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Uh, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go out to a local vineyard to Messina Hoff and uh, talk to Paul and Meryl Bonarigo, and I asked them a little bit about vine tending because they're both, they're both vine tenders and they have developed this vineyard out there. And I wanted to share with you uh, this conversation that I had with Meryl. This is an example of a vine that has not been pruned yet. But the energy of spring is still, the, the, the water still going to be coming up from the roots through the vine, and it's going to try to produce. But it can't sustain the level of production that it's going to hold. So if you think of the vine as it's a root system and it's a conduit, so you have the roots where the, the water comes from, you have a conduit up the trunk and the, and the cordons, and then up through the branches, that deposit the water into the grapes. Then what you have is a branch that's got to sustain enough liquid to move enough liquid to be able to service the grapes. If this is not tended to, what happens? It just becomes wild and either the, this vine would wither and die, this branch would wither and die because it couldn't sustain this much, or um, it would just abort the fruit, or it wouldn't produce anymore. So the entire system would not produce the fruit that it, right. that it normally would have. Okay. And we, when we talk about the vine tender and taking care of the vine and producing the best fruit or the most fruit, quality fruit that it, that it can, it depends on, again, that the, the size of the branch and the potential that that branch can yield good fruit. And the vine tender wants to help the branch. So as the vine tender is looking at the, at the vine, at this time of year, um, he's looking at each branch individually to see what that branch did. And he's going to cut away the dead wood, and then he's going to prune the, the productive branches so that they will be stimulated to produce more and better fruit. I walked with 
Paul and Merrill uh, through their vineyard, and literally, this is no exaggeration, they know every branch in their vineyard. They know absolutely every branch because they walk up and down it throughout the season, and they're tending, they're cutting, they're trimming, they're lifting branches up, they're protecting. Why? Because they, they love their vineyard. And they want the most for their vineyard. They want their vineyard to, to yield the best grapes it can and the most grapes it can because they love it. That's the motivation of the vine tender. Recall in the Sermon on the Mount where, where Jesus said, uh, which of you, if your child says, I'd like a loaf of bread, are you going to give them a stone? Or if they ask for a fish, you're not going to give them a snake. If you then, he says, being relatively evil compared to God the Father, know how to give good gifts, how much more does your Father who is in heaven? That's the fundamental nature of God. God is good. And God wants the best for your life. And so God moves to act in your life so that you bear, bear the most fruit and the best fruit as is possible in your life. Now, I have an admission to make. I, I, don't, I don't actually like gardening at all. And uh, I realize that as you're sitting out there, I've just alienated a whole bunch of you who like, that, that's your absolute favorite hobby. You just want to maybe turn it off right now and go out and get into your yard and work in your yard. And I've already alienated the other half of the population who like cats, and I don't like cats. But that said, uh, I don't like gardening because I'm terrible at gardening. I, I've made multiple ventures and as... My kids will admit, you know, we've we've tried to plant gardens and we get, you know, like tiny little carrots or we get tiny little, and I'm like, what, what, what's happening here? I can't grow anything. In fact, uh, I kill everything. And, you know, plants die for a variety of reasons. They, there's too much water or not enough water. Or there's too much sun or not enough sun. There's too much fertilizer or not enough fertilizer. Or there's bugs you didn't treat. I've killed plants for all of the above reasons, all of the above. I'm just, I'm t- absolutely terrible at it. So uh, a couple of years ago, I got a knock on our door because I've never won Yard of the Month Club, right? Uh, so I got a knock on the door, and one of my neighbors stopped, and he said, Brian, I'm, I'm wondering if I could help you with your yard. And uh, as it turns out, he has a, he has a yard business. He has, a, has a, like a, a landscaping, and they design things. He says, I'd love to help you with your yard, Brian. In fact, uh, I, will do, I will do it at cost. You, you're not going to have to pay for any of the labor whatsoever, I will do all of it. You just have to pay for the plants. And I don't know if it was pity or the fact that he lives down the road. He has to literally pass my house every day. And it was just shame in his, you know, in his heart for our neighborhood. So he redid our entire, he redid our entire uh, landscaping. The, the only problem is that once you put it in, you have to take care of it. You have to tend it. So he put in some rose bushes and rose bushes, if they, you know, they start to grow, they just go crazy. And my rose bushes were going all over the place. They're just getting crazy and wild. And my dad came over one day, and he's a bit better at gardening. He's not great, but he's better than I am. And he said, son, I don't think you've ever heard the maxim, which is this. Let your enemies trim your rose bushes. You ever heard that before? Let your enemies trim your rose bushes. Rose bushes do really good when they are aggressively trimmed. When, when they're whacked back and all the shooters that are going off everywhere are cut back and the, the thicker stems are allowed to grow and blossom. He said, let your enemies trim your rose bushes because what's the goal? We want the, the most flowers and the most beautiful flowers. Well, what does God do in your life? Well, he steps in and he, he trims because he's a master gardener. Remember, when God created the entire universe, the final thing that he did was he planted a garden. And God knows exactly in the garden of your life 
what needs to happen. And so God moves into your life, and he moves in in a variety of ways. There are three that I want to remind you of this morning that, that put your life in a place where it can bear the maximum fruit and create the, the greatest beauty for the world. The first is actually kindness. Romans chapter 2, Paul says, Do you not know that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But we miss the benefit of that sometimes because we don't stop and say thanks. And acknowledge all of the blessings that you have in your life right now are a gift from God. He's the father of lights in whom there's no shadow or variableness. He's always good toward you. And you experience the blessing and the power transformatively of God's gifts in your life when you stop and acknowledge everything that I have is a gift from God. And you literally stop and and give thanks and count those blessings. I found for myself personally that uh, gratitude or thankfulness is one of my top two or three spiritual disciplines. When I feel like my life is just getting out of whack a little bit, I realize I simply need to stop and say, God, thank you. And I literally will sit down and I'll, I'll, if I'm walking and praying, I will list the things that God has done that are gifts in my life. Or if I'm sitting uh, at, at a desk, I will pull out my journal, journal and I will list all of the gifts from God because it is the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. But it's not always kindness. Sometimes God shapes our life through discipline. If your Bibles are still with you, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And let's read in verse 7. The writer says, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. See what the writer is saying? He's saying, if God disciplines you in your life, that is, he brings consequences into your life for your sin, it's because he loves you. And when you acknowledge that, you experience the benefit of God's discipline. Psalm chapter 119, David wrote, it was actually good for me that I was afflicted so that I might learn your law. See what David's doing? He's yielding to the vine tender. He's saying, it was good for me that I was afflicted. I'm I'm saying, God, thank you. Thank you that you didn't allow me just to continue in sin. Instead, you brought consequences for my sin because those consequences for my sin put me back in a place where I could learn the peaceful fruit of righteousness, which is actually a beautiful fruit in my life. And so sometimes God disciplines us in our lives. Third, God brings in trials. James chapter 1 talks about this. James says, Uh, Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Consider it all joy is yielding to the vine tender. It's saying, God, thank you for these experiences in my life. They're not consequences for sin. They're They're just experiences that are not pleasant, but I yield to you. And I consider it joy. I I literally, it's an accounting term. I count it to my joy column because I know that you are producing character that will last in my life. I know that you're transforming me. That is, you're producing fruit in my life through this trial. 
You know, the, Meryl alluded to this earlier, but if you don't tend the vine, what happens is just like my rose bush, it just starts going crazy. But as it's going crazy, what happens is it's going to cling to something. So as it's reaching out, it, it will find something to wrap itself around. And that's what we do in our lives as well. If we're not clinging to Jesus, we're going to be clinging to something else. And so God's going to move into our lives and he's going to say, no, I, gotta, I need to rip you loose from that. And it, it, and it may be a sin that's destroying you. It may just be a worthless thing or it may be a thing that's less than the best. But God loves you so much that he won't allow you to cling to it and not experience the best that he has to offer And so he may do that through kindness and blessing. Even when we're struggling, he may do it through a trial or he may do it through suffering. He may do it through discipline. But it's always for our good. It's always for our good. Because the vine tender loves his vineyard and he wants the best for it. Now, fourth. Fruitful fruitful branches. Oops, sorry I didn't put that one up there. Fruitful branches enjoy an abundant harvest. Uh, Fruit can refer to a variety of things in the Bible. Uh, I want to point out two of these from John chapter 15. If you look with me in verse 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Uh, One of the things that's most Uh, frequently referred to as fruit is character that is a transformed life. Jesus says, I I want you to abide in me. I want you to cling to me because I want your life to be filled with joy. Paul develops the same theme in Galatians chapter 5. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's character. It's, It's a transformed life. And one of the things I want you to hear really clearly this morning is you can't change yourself or you can't change your character. You can't say to yourself, you know what? Today I'm going to be more loving. Today I'm going to be patient. If you say to yourself, today I'm going to be patient, your patience will be tested. I promise you. Today I'm going to be more kind. Today I'm going to, be, I'm going, to, I'm going to become this person. You cannot on your own strength transform your character. Your responsibility is abide in the vine. And when you abide in the vine, you cling to Jesus and you depend actively, consciously to Jesus, he transforms your life. And that's the outcome, that's the fruit that comes from clinging to Jesus. So the fruit is character. A second fruit that we see in John chapter 15 is influence through your life. Look in verse 8. Jesus says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, And so demonstrate or prove that you are my disciples. That is, when your life is transformed because you've been clinging to the vine, God is glorified. That is, you make God famous. Because things transpire in your life and through your life that cannot be explained any other way than the fact that you're connected with Jesus. And so, again, Jesus gets all of the credit because you've been clinging so tightly. Not not saying to yourself, I need to produce more fruit. I need to cling more tightly. Because when I do abide in the vine... God's going to produce fruit through my life that makes him famous. That is, he is glorified. My character is transformed, and the world sees Jesus through me. I am glorifying. I'm making God famous. I'm not taking credit for myself, but instead I'm acknowledging, apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. Now, how do we apply this? I'm going to give you a few thoughts as a band comes up and closes us out. 
Let me give you three applications. The first is this. Are you reaching out to other vines? Maybe you are in Jesus. Uh, You've had that moment where you believed in Jesus, but you're continuously tempted to reach out to other things and find life there. And maybe this morning, the word of God's spirit to you is to release those things. Maybe you are finding life in uh, your job. (laughs) Well, this crisis is making that a bit tenuous. Or you're finding life and hope and peace in your retirement, or you're finding life, hope, and peace through a relationship, you're finding life and hope and peace through your physical health and your, your stamina and your strength, and maybe God is reaching into your life right now and he's causing you to release those things a little bit because you're clinging to other vines. I really want to encourage you this morning, uh, just listen to the voice of God's Spirit. because Those are things actually that ultimately bring you death. They don't bring you life. So first application question is this. Are you reaching out to other vines? Second, are you yielding to the vine tender? Maybe God is doing some stuff in your life right now and you're just fighting against it. You're you're saying no, no, no. You don't get the benefit when you say no. I want you to take a few moments and say, God, thank you, I trust you that you're good. Uh, The circumstances in these moments may not be pleasant to me, but I trust that you're, you're using all of these experiences, the blessing, the kindnesses, but also the struggle and the trial and the discipline to work it for my good. I trust you. I believe in you. I yield to you. And then third, are you abiding in the true vine? I mean, really actively, consciously clinging. All of our lives have been upended. I, I don't know a single person whose, whose rhythms of life have not been turned upside down. Let me encourage you to see that as an opportunity. Let's take the opportunity. Let's take the moment. Uh, It may be that uh, we can't gather together. Can you gather together with your friends online? Maybe you're part of a a home group. You're part of a Bible study. Maybe you're a student and you're scattered across the country. Wow, we live in this incredible day and age where you can make a Zoom call. You can get on Google Hangouts. You can decide we're going to go deep together in the Word together, right? Online, but not together, but together. Uh, We're going to challenge one another. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to memorize the word together. We're going to study together. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to pray for our friends who don't know Jesus together. Find find some new rhythms. Find some new rhythms in your own life. Your, Your schedule is disrupted, so find time and space and put it on your calendar to be with Jesus alone. Your schedule is disrupted. You may have some additional time that you have control over. Uh, If you have your kids at home, then spouses, let me deeply encourage you to make space for one another to go deeper with the Lord, right? To to really, really energy, energetically, consciously, actively, in a fresh way, cling to Jesus so that when we emerge from this crisis, maybe there will be some new patterns in our life that cause us to more actively depend upon Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray that you would teach us to lean into Jesus. I pray, Father, that um, we would not waste or miss this opportunity to abide in Jesus in deeper ways than we ever have before. I pray that we would see the transforming power of your word and prayer and confession as, as we uh, develop new habits or lean into old habits that maybe we've ignored for a while. I pray, Father, that we would remember that our worship cannot be stopped by anything, that our witness cannot be interrupted by anything, but instead we yield to these circumstances that you have placed us in and we say, Father, do your best with us in this moment.
until he returns or calls me home right here in the power of Christ I stand oh here in the power of Christ church we stand all right thanks band thank you production team uh, church uh, let me remind you if uh, your life has kind of gotten turned upside down which I'm sure for many of you it has uh, Step in this week and maybe create some structure. If you're not a part of a home group or a Bible study, then reach out to a few friends and say, let, let, let's, get it, let's create some structure for ourselves to continue to walk with the Lord, some accountability so that we can walk with the Lord together through this period of time of, of chaos and crisis and really go deep and not miss that moment. Uh, this next week, I'm going to put out some, on, uh, online some, kind of, uh, some ideas about how you can connect with one another and how you can connect more deeply with the Lord. But until the, that comes out, please don't wait. Our church, we need to take advantage of this moment so that we not only continue to worship, but our, but our witness really becomes powerful in the world. Word, uh, Powerful in the world, excuse me. Um, all right, so here's the deal. Same time, uh, same place. We will meet you again back here next week. Uh, to worship and be together. God bless you. Have a great week.